Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Alex Williams. Alex, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks for having me, Amy. Pleasure to be here. It really is. And we first met back in October and we were probably completely unaware of one another at the time because we were both very focused on what we had to do, which was speak in the final of the PSA Speaker Factor final. And it was pretty nerve wracking. And I can't remember where you went, whether you went before. I think you went after me because I do remember your speech, which means because I don't remember anybody that went before me. Yeah, I went last, which in a way was good, but it was also terrifying because I had to watch all you other amazing contestants like, oh, my God, what am I doing? But yeah, it was, it was amazing. Amazing experience. It was an amazing experience. As a result, we formed a mastermind together with, with several other of the finalists, which has been phenomenal. And here we are today recording your why. So let's just get cracking. And the first question I have for you today, the only set question I ever have, which is, what is it you're up to at the moment? So I speak to young adults and teenagers, showing them how to bulletproof their mental health by creating life on their terms. Um, essentially, it's kind of like a prevention over cure approach to mental health, having worked in it for so many years, but gone through my own experiences when I was young and kind of not dealing with them and then kind of realising that I was in the same boat as a lot of the people I was working with. And I was like, well, how can we stop this? And um, so really what I do now is talk to people about aspects of life that can impact the way we view the world, ourselves, how we view the world and what opportunities are out there for us. Because mental health isn't something you wake up with. It's something that's grown, you know. So that's kind of what I'm up to at the moment. And you said about bulletproof life. How do you, how do you go about doing that? Well, what I realised is, so my story begins when I was young, obviously, and I went through some stuff when I was a kid, uh, born into a normal family. My mum and dad divorced, so my dad had an affair. I was raised. My mum then became got into a relationship with another man who essentially were, there was a lot of domestic abuse. I witnessed a lot of that. And so it was quite a terrifying environment for me. And as I, but when I was eight, I was woken up one in the middle of the night by police taken to a police station I was you know I was eight so for me the police are like there to arrest bad people and although I was quite you know I was a gobby little so-and-so when I was a kid I'd never done anything prison worthy but I got to the police station sat down kind of expecting to be told off and police officer said to me um your mum's dead and that that was kind of the moment where you know I realized you know, that was shock, of course, but then to, the, what I soon found out is that she was murdered by my stepdad. And my life from then became, I had this perspective, completely unaware of it, but that my life was therefore limited. I think, you know, a lot of bad things happen to all of us, you know, some more than others. We know that in society, in different cultures, people have more, there's more barriers for people to face. But I realised I had my own limitations. My outlook on life was limited. So as I grew up, obviously losing that mother figure, I then had my dad raise me, whose idea was to essentially just throw money at me, really. 
he did his best, but he was throwing money at me and thought that would solve the problems in life. But as I grew, again, not aware of it at the time, I kind of just as, saw myself as hey, someone who wasn't really clever enough. I didn't couldn't meet my dad's expectations. Um, I felt that I needed to be what other people needed to meet to be. And therefore, I kind of lost sight of what really mattered to me and what I could potentially do, you know. And I think that's really common in mental health. You see it loads. People end up living lives they literally hate and then wonder why they're not happy. And I was kind of creating that. But I got into mental, I, when I got to about 18, I um, kind of was just working bar jobs for, I'll go do IT, I'll go do these things, go do that. Never just because I thought they were sensible jobs, you know. And obviously I had abandoning issues at the time because I lost my mum, so I didn't have that mother figure. So I also had issues with relationships, you know. I, I realised I was quite clingy to people. But all from the perspective, really, that I just wasn't good enough. Again, from this limited perception of self and what was available to me in the world. But I did eventually get into mental health, you know, and I've said this to a few people and I find it quite funny. You know, when, when we become that mental, I'm a mental health nurse, done it for, I was tired in the training 16 years ago. So I've been working in it for 16 years. And I kind of fell into it. But people like, you know, they go, oh, I wanted to be a nurse. I've always wanted to be a nurse. I didn't have that dream fancy story. It was literally, I got paid to do it. Why not? You know, people around me thought I'd be good at doing this because I think my mum was a nurse. My gran was a nurse. They were general nurses, but I went into mental health. So we started doing that. And, you know, I found almost like I had a bit of a purpose. I had a role. But over the years, what I started to become, you know, naturally, I was kind of when I first qualified, it was very much it's all genetics. It's all genetics. You, you know, these are, you know, it's all handed down from generation to generation. And although there's some element of truth, it's not as much. We now know it's not as much as we used to believe. So, but so I started realizing that, you know, but in, in every story we saw, other than a few cases, maybe like head injuries, maybe like um postnatal um, psychosis and depression, and you know, drug induced. If you take too many drugs one night, you might wake up and be like, oh my god, I've gone a bit crazy here. And generally, people had a backstory, and it was like oh, you know, bad stuff had happened to people on varying degrees. So you could kind of, it kind of like when they presented to you, you're like, oh, this makes sense. You know, I can see that there's something, why you're not right. So it kind of helped, it kind of, for me, I was challenging this idea that, oh, people are ill. Actually, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to you. And actually the trauma-informed way of working is essentially, it's not that's wrong with you, it's what's happened to you. So I've seen this all the time. And I was kind of like getting to this point where I remember being, what if, what if we got there earlier? What if we were working with people like, you know, when they were first starting to notice signs of self-doubt and lack of self-belief and maybe like a question in their purpose in life? And what if we were doing stuff then where we did a few sessions and really helped them kind of refocus onto what really matters to them and make sure they're creating a life that, that's what they actually want? But these were just seeds at the time. You know, these are just seeds I was kind of in my mind and I was thinking, so I carried on doing my job. But it wasn't until I realized I faced my 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 main personal rock bottom was that how I basically adjusted from my mum and everything that happened to my dad was I made a life that was a, worth a lot less. That was a lot less than what I was actually worth. And but it was still everything I thought I wanted. And I was engaged to get married, had a house, had a steady job, you know. On the, on the surface, it looked like everything was going well for me. But then when I, basically the relationship came to a head and we decided we didn't want to be together. And it was quite amicable, but I took it really badly. And so initially it was kind of like, 
resisting that change like oh there's nothing wrong you know that there's I, I've just got to get on with this you know I need to suck it up and move on but I was hurting you know it was kind of like I think it, it made me realize that actually I'd never really got over what happened with my mum and all that sort of stuff but I kind of again pushed it to the back of my mind it's like right I'm gonna go traveling I thought yeah I'm gonna go traveling this will solve all my problems I just run away from everything and it was the best experience I ever had but when I got back and realized suddenly had to face reality I reached the lowest I've ever been and it was a lit I had plans to end my life I was, I was sitting there I was in a house that I was now renting the room in a town I knew no one in a brand new job that was meant to be good but it was, wasn't really what I wanted and I just essentially just hated myself and I remember reading the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl at the time and I was sitting there on my bedroom floor literally I need to get out I can't do this anymore it was really really hard it still hurts to talk about it in this way because in it's like you know you, it was just very painful you know to feel that low about myself but about my life I just thought what's the point you know my mum's gone my dad doesn't really care about me I've just lost my partner you know I'm I've got to, I feel like I've had to start again but I read the book Man's Search for Meaning and and there's a line in it that I talk about all the time it sticks to me but he said you know everything can be taken from you except your ability to choose how you respond your ability to choose your own way and it was that was like almost like the perfect thing I needed to hear then because then this uh, this this kind of thing sprouted in my mind that well if I get to choose my own way what would that what would that look like what what would that mean to me so I just it literally was like well I'm probably I'm probably not going to kill myself because I've got a dog here who's looking at me with puppy dog eyes and I'm thinking God, you know I can't imagine you know in a way my dog probably kept me alive as well as that book it's like what am I going to do if my, what's my dog going to do but then it, it that started the journey for me to in looking at myself and realizing that actually I've been living exactly the same way as all these people I've been working with I created a life that I thought was what I wanted but was actually more about all I was capable of and now it's like, well, what if I actually chose to believe in myself or started to create that belief? How could I, what could I do with my life? And then that was kind of like, well, I've got this idea about these talks I was doing at the university, um, not the university, in my job, you know, I was thinking, what if we could speak to these young people about these aspects of life, not just the ones that affect me, like, you know, trauma, losing my mum to murder and like having a, a, fam, a, a dad who kind of just expects you to be a certain way, but that feels out of alignment with who you are. I was like, well, Actually, we get mental health problems because of how we respond to failure, heartbreak, loneliness, stress, the inner critic, um, other aspects of life which are really normal, yet they they upset us and, and can mess with us um, to create this kind of mindset where we just don't feel like we can ever do what we want to do. Because essentially, as I said, like there's a story to everyone. And literally, if you look, it's full of failures, it's full of heartbreaks, it's full of rejection, it's full of all these things. And then that's where the mental illness is kind of tends to be born from. So I was like, well, if we can speak to people about these things and we can help people realise that actually it's really normal to fail. It's really normal to get rejected. It's really normal to feel lonely. But none of those things mean you're any less of a person. They also don't mean the world then becomes a limited place where you can't do what you want. And it also doesn't mean you can't, don't have what it is within you to achieve what you want. So I just like decided that I was going to go with it. And that's kind of, and, and that was what it was for me. It was like, it was, it coincided me doing what, me suddenly realizing that I was living how these other people were living was kind of what I needed to do to kind of have the bravery to then go forward and be the example that hopefully all these other young people 
need so they can not fall down this rabbit hole of, uh, well, you need to just go to uni, get a steady job, get a roof over your head, find someone to put up with you, which is what we can't, it's kind of the narrative we teach people. But I think that's a very dated narrative that I realise is actually the cause of the majority of mental health problems we face in society. Wow. So a dated narrative of which you were able to rewrite having read Man's Search for Meaning, which is an incredible book. And it was never meant to be publicly written or, or he was not going to put his name to it. It was He wanted it just as a paper out there and just as an anonymous piece. But that book which is so pivotal for so many when they read it and is taken in so many different contexts. For you, you needed something. And, you know, the dog, lovely puppy dog eyes, I'm sure <laughs> they had, wasn't enough. There was, there was more to it. So how did you change that narrative to decide to go for it and realise that it, it was normal that your life was normal and yet you thought it was it was different so I think obviously context helps I, I don't think we should be comparing trauma this we shouldn't be living the trauma trauma top trump's life where oh your trauma's worse therefore I should invalidate how I'm feeling but I think perspective helped the fact that you go you got Victor Frankl he's 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 barely survived the extermination of six million Jewish people in World War II. He's come from being in a concentration camp where only one out of 26 people actually made it loud. Now, if you can imagine, like you're at school right now and you've got 26 people with you and only one of you is going to get out of class alive or you're in your workplace and there's only one of you. That's, the, that's actually the scenario he was in. And his book about how he was able to find purpose and meaning in the experience. And I'm not saying like literally when bad things happen, we need to find that, but it made me realize, wow, if he can get through that, but not just get through that, he's then got on to write a book that literally probably saved my life. And it had, as you said, Amy, it's, it's been so impactful for others. It kind of just made me realize that for me, it was like, oh, then if he could do that, I can do that. And then, because then what it got me realizing is that I was in charge of my life and it doesn't matter what happens to you it's how you respond to what happens to you isn't it you know this is essentially it and it doesn't mean that that means it's easy life is going you're going to suffer unfortunately but I realized that you've got to find things that are worth suffering for and that's why he talks about purpose so much and finding meaning so much because if you get up from bed and you hate your job and stuff it, it just sucks so what that then did for me was like well what are the if it, it obviously you get to choose but what does that really mean what and I, I started being fascinated with all the different modalities, right, we, we use. We've got, you, you know, it's like, we've got so many different interventions we use with people. You can go to some people from somatic experiencing. You've got CBT, you've got psychotherapy, you've got NLP. You've got all these different things you can use. And I was like, and everything does work for some people. But I was like, what's at the core of it? What's at the core of it? What do people really need to know? And I thought, and, the, and that's why I created the three R's to realising your potential. Because I was like, and this is what I talk about. So what does, you know, when, when, when life doesn't feel fair, or what, regardless, maybe life's going well, what are the three things that you, you need to do to kind of give yourself the best chance of creating, not only overcoming the obstacles you may face, but like creating the life of dreams. And in his book, responsibility was that, you know, you talk about something, your life is your responsibility. Now, responsibility is a bit of a swear word, isn't it, to some, you know, and I think in kids with young people, we, we tend to, 
use the responsibility word when they're doing things we don't want them to do. But we didn't realize that responsibility, when we take responsibility, it allows us to choose the direction we take. If we're going to choose the direction we take, why don't we go in the direction that we actually want to go? And that's why purpose and stuff is so important, because you can be curious, like it's about being curious to what are you interested in? What matters to you? What bad experiences you have where you've come out and go, well, that now that really matters to me. That's so important that I do A, B and C now because I'd never want that to happen again. Or, or you know, and, and there's so many causes in the world that we align with. So I realized that we can use those experiences, good and bad, to kind of use responsibility in a good way and choose the path we decide to follow. The second, uh, what this, this book helped me realize is um, we tend to internalize bad experiences so the outcomes become who we believe we are. So like if we fail, we tend to believe it's because we're a failure, you know, or stuff like that. And I realized actually release the pain is fine, is actually no matter what happens to you, they're not a reflection of your worth. Literally bad things happen to all people, but it's the key is not to mean that mean that you're you're a bad person. Yes, you're going to experience shame, but shame is there to kind of show you that, well, maybe I need to improve in some way, shape or form, but doesn't mean I'm a bad person inherently. So it's like releasing the pain in healthy ways, knowing that what bad things happen to you, they do not stop you necessarily from getting to the place you want to go. Because so many think people like myself, perfect example, I believe my future was limited because of what happened to me. And so many people do that. And then the third R was, got, was about relentless self-belief. I call it relentless self-belief. It's about, we tend to look at self-belief as something we find from external to us. You know, we wait for people to tell us we're good enough, essentially. But I realise it's actually created within. By heading in the direction you want to go one step at a time. Unfortunately, we live in a quick fix world, don't we? Where you go on Amazon and you can go, Oh, quickly, I'll buy that. I'll get that 24, 24 hours. That'll be on my doorstep. And I think in the way in the way in mental health and a lot of things, we look for those quick fixes. And when we don't get those quick fixes, we just think they don't work. But what I realized through my own journey is, um, and I'm still going through it. You know, I just say this, I'm not, no one's perfect. So you, you can follow these gurus and whatever. No one's perfect. We all, the journey is, there's always going to be obstacles. But I realized that You've only got you've got one day or one moment at a time and you just have to take it and make sure you're taking a step in line with what you really want to go. So it's taking one step at a time, essentially, you know, like Lao Tzu said, it's the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And I think that's a great, a beautiful line, because that is essentially it. You look at all the successful people in the in in the world. And I'm not saying success is by money, just people who seem to be living a life that's in line with their values and their purpose they you know they're not overnight successes you know they literally take it one step at a time so if you're having a mental health problem if you're struggling you've got a diagnosis we, i know that you're not you're not going to come see someone like me and you're going to be fixed overnight because hey i don't do the fixing it's your life but you know you maybe plant some seeds but it's about taking that step one step at a time what small tiny thing can you do today that takes you in that right direction so for me like the book was kind of like it was essentially like it was all on that line you know you get to decide the direction you take essentially so how can i take that and how can i use the power that i've been given which is through responsibility and how can i then walk the journey by letting go of these labels that i've attached to myself because of my experiences that but, but then gradually walk in the direction i want to go and um literally like it still blows me away like when i think about it because it's you know it's so simple 
but we don't tell people about it. And this is what why I essentially do what I want to do, because I literally could if I could pick all these kids or young adults who are like in in situations where they're like, my life's just not going to really pan out. I want to. I want to. Yes, it can. You still have a choice. You still have a direction to take. What what would that be like? You know, and but it, it blows me away because essentially those three things are at the crux of any intervention. You're not going to go to it. No one fixes you. No one heals you. I know we have this illusion that people do, but no one does that. You, It's what you do outside of those sessions that really counts. And so really, we've all been gifted our own superpower. It's responsibility. So how, how are we going to use it? And that's what I want people to kind of realize. So then they can create lives that they want and give themselves the best chance of not suffering unnecessarily and create themselves mental health problems. And the responsibility, you said it yourself, it's a, it's a bit of a swear word. It's like, because it is, it's it's an effort. Okay. So it does require effort. And actually, he, I think he spells it response and then ability. So it's your ability to respond as opposed to the word that we're used to in terms of responsibility. So yes, we do have a choice and it's about living life on, on your own terms. A lot of people don't have a vision of what that looks like. And that's where the next step is, okay, it's all very well me now choosing but I don't know what I want so where where does someone who is struggling and, and in whatever level of mental health they have and whatever they've, they've got in terms of symptoms or how do they see themselves through this or how do they feel themselves out of it I mean the key is I think so if we're talking about younger people here for example I think we put so much expectation, you know, the education system is very much, you need to pick your GCSEs, you need to pick your A-levels, you need to pick your, your degree, and you need to have this idea of what you want to do. And I'm kind of like, that's, it's such a dated perception and it fails people because most people don't know what they want to do. They, there's very few, yes, you may have an idea of being a doctor, for example, but equally I've met a lot of people in my work who were told to be doctors, hated it, and now they're like they're, they're struggling, they've been struggling with their mental health. So the key is not to put too much pressure on yourself to figure it out, because essentially you don't really have to figure out. It is, I love the word curiosity, Amy. I love it because I think it's about, you know, what lights you up, what matters to you. You know, they're the sort of things you you kind of you just follow when you're young. Like obviously you. I'm not saying like if you're if your aim is if you just want to party all the time, that's probably not going to be a, a long standing career choice. You know, it's about kind of not just what benefits you, but it's also how can I use this to benefit the other world? Now, but equally, like someone might go, well, I like DJing. So I maybe I want to be a DJ. And I actually met someone recently who used lockdown to said, I want to be a DJ. They went, they used that and they were curious and they, so they bought the decks and started mixing. And now they've got like gigs in London and stuff like that. And I thought, brilliant that's how we should be doing it but for people who are like really suffering it does come back to the basics you know we are sociable beings um we, it's about connecting with other people it's doing simple things like one of my roles as a as a as a, a senior practitioner working at a crisis team so crisis teams tend to get people who are literally you know who are presenting as high risk of suicide or extremely unwell and in the case of people who have significant depression and that you you do doing the basics it's get you out doing the just going for a walk just get up and maybe have a shower so literally take it so slow and this is the problem i think we, we struggle because it we want as i say we want instant results but getting those people to do such small things and finding things that actually connect with what matter to them which is really hard with depression 
because as I said, if you've got like um, a label or, or other diagnosis, personality disorder, ink disorders, all these other diagnoses, we tend to be about our self-worth. So if we don't perceive ourselves to be any worth, where, then why would we see anyone else valuing us? So really it's about keeping people alive in those situations, but it's literally like, how do we build that up? How do we create perhaps? How do we find meaning for these people in the smallest of things? Like, and as I say, sometimes pets can be helpful. You can like go, well, I've got to feed my cat. You know, so that's a like, that's a purpose. But for people who aren't that unwell, it's literally just being curious. Literally, rather than listening to what other people tell you, you should do, it's about what am I curious? What, what would I like to try? What would I like to experiment with? What, you know, and we don't have to like decide that you're going to do one thing and then you have to ride that out for two, three years. If you do something for two weeks and, it, and you decide, actually, this is not for me, that's okay. But I think we need to encourage people to have as many experiences as they want to until they kind of get to a point where they're like, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind giving this a go. I sometimes think purpose sometimes gets sold as like this one thing you find and you're going to do it for the rest of your life. But I think a lot of people realize that you can have multiple purposes and also a purpose. Your purpose can change all the time, depending on your environment. You know, people often when they're on their own, they have this life that they want to live. And then suddenly they meet a partner, have kids. Their purpose changes. So really, it's kind of a with the young people, don't be, feel like you have to have everything figured out. That's why taking one step at a time is so, so powerful. But it's, it's also not putting so much pressure on yourself, you know, for young people. I literally, I see it all the time, you know, society puts so much pressure on young people. And in a world where we have so much option and so much choice, it should be really, it should be a beautiful place for young people now. You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't be a gamer because I was going to get bad eyes from staring at the screen all day, screen all day. But now, you know, you can, can't you? You go on, you can see people who make millions playing games. And I'm not saying everyone's going to do that because that's when you have to put the effort, the responsibility to work in. But literally, there's so much choice for people, but equally, there's, there's a lot of fear out there. And, it, and I think, I think we're, we've got dated perceptions of how we should live our lives, which aren't fitted with the actual world we live in now. And it's about just encouraging kids to be who they want to be, be who you want to be and find even the tiniest little crumb of something you can do that kind of slowly leads you down that path. That's essentially what it's about. So what lights you up, Alex, and what, what matters to you? Well, it's a good question. I, I, was, I laughed about this the other day. I like speaking. <laughs> I literally was like, how can I, how can I narrow it down? And I just thought, it's funny because when I was a kid, and I think this can sometimes shine a light for some people, like we all have strengths, right? But so a lot of strengths in our lives would get labeled as um, weaknesses or like flaws. And as I said to you, I was gobby. I used to get told off a lot of school. I wasn't like a bad kid, but I just liked attention, I think which I think was normal given the environment I grew up in. You know, I, my sister was quite unwell physically, so she had a lot of needs. When my mum was alive, so she paid a lot of attention to her. My mum was also going for a divorce, so, you know, I think she was emotionally unavailable to an extent. She did her best. So I think I kind of felt like this kid who just was on my own playing my toys, and I just used to be quite gobby. But I realised that over the years, when have I been at my best? What do I like doing? And I think for a while I kind of looked on that negatively, like I just like to be the centre of attention. But when I found that I could actually use that in a positive way and, you know, now I've got kind of a purpose or purposes, I was like, right, actually being gobby and liking to talk and speak is actually a really good skill to have if I want to do this in a way, you know. So for me, what lights me up is speaking. I love, I just love doing like this, Amy. I love talking to people because I feel like, A, I have some purpose, I have some meaning, I feel like I have a lot to offer. and. I love it. But other than that, I literally, I've just learned to just 
try new things. Like I love new experiences. It doesn't mean I always have to have them. You know, I have my comforts. I like exercise. You know, I like eating certain foods. I do try new foods, you know, like listening to certain styles of music. And I like certain nights out. You know, they're the sort of things I, my stable sort of things I like. But generally I'm like, right, what, what, what lights me up? And so it's that. And it's just like music. I love, literally, I said the other job would be like, just be a DJ, just play music. Because I just love like dancing around and that would be it really. But for me, it, it's, it's, it's speaking and feeling like I have something to offer to other people. And I've never felt so passionate about something in my life. Literally when I started doing the speaking and followed those three hours myself and was like, right, I'm going to do this. And like when I did after the four sessions and quite a few people turned up after loads of people told me like, this isn't going to work. I was working at uni at the time. People aren't going to come. We tried this. And, and like I had a hundred people turn up to my fourth talk. And I remember being like, this is it, Alex, you know, this, you're, you're in your element here. This is you. And, and it just, I love it. I literally love it. So I think, yeah, for other people, I would say, just find, where do you feel like you're in your best? Where do you feel like you're functioning at your optimum? You know, where do you feel like you're re you really have something to offer? And that's kind of how I found it for me. It was like, I had a passion. I have a gobby mouth. Let's put them together. Let's use this, do something good with it. And yeah, I, that's me for me. That's what really lights me up. It's really interesting that you, you mentioned about strengths actually being labelled as weaknesses and flaws because you hear it often, particularly when people sort of use the genders behind it. Whereas, whereas you can say a man is sort of assertive, you say that a woman is bossy. Yeah. Or, you know, particularly when they're little. Yeah. And and then and then that takes you on a trajectory. Yeah. And you do dampen or or sort of sort of taper your strengths to fit from a yeah. societal perspective and yet you know they were there very early on those strengths those natural abilities and yet we we do you know, push them aside and and sort of keep ourselves very controlled and, and and that's probably how all of these small increments you said that it doesn't happen overnight it's a series of changes that, that they start to just compound over time yeah exactly and it is it is essentially why the, the release the pain aspect of the three r's is so important because that like the labels we put on ourselves not necessarily put on ourselves but society puts on us and in mental health i've seen it for years this is why i don't like someone said to me the other day and i loved it and not like i'm trying to big myself up here but literally said you know you've worked with this my my kid for a while now for a few sessions and they said you haven't once mentioned their diagnosis and they loved it because they said so many people attach a diagnosis and therefore we get this pain idea of what someone is so and but we do that to ourselves don't we like if you're like you said a bossy if, if you're if you've got an opinion and you have good things to say but as a female you might have been labeled bossy but so therefore we see that as negative but in the mental health diagnosis does that so many people get slapped to diagnosis and doesn't mean it's unhelpful for everyone but sometimes we get this idea of diagnosis therefore means i am limited and the aim is to realize that actually that doesn't stop you you know there are probably a few diagnoses that that might be the case very few but most not and this is what i want to do. move let's a stop listening to people who are putting us down to an extent let's, let's remove the labels that society puts on us let's remove the limitations that society tells us that we should have and then let's decide that for ourselves and you know it's it's so powerful because it all comes down to responsibility. You get to decide, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be like, um, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm going to learn to, I'm going to grow wings and fly. You know, you have to look at what's realistic to an extent 
or what's natural is probably a better way to describe it. But you know, the labels can be such a hindrance to people's development, especially young people, because I was posted about this the other day, but I do think a midlife crisis essentially will wake up and realize, oh my God, how have I been living my life? I can't believe I believe that's how I was living my life. I can't believe I believe that's who I was. And now I get to do all these things that actually I realized I could have done in the first place, but because I believed I couldn't, you know, and that's all because of the labels. So it, it yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah, I, I don't I don't tend to refer to it, as you know, as to midlife crises. It's midlife beginnings. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, it's again, you, you, you mentioned right at the beginning about aspects of life. Yeah. And I just want to ask you more about what are the aspects of life that you're focusing on? So there um, for me, it's those elements of life that are likely to impact us in negative ways. So obviously I share my own experiences and a lot of them. So for me growing up, it was self-worth and attributing to that, to what happens to you. So trauma has a massive impact. Not, I think trauma gets over, I realised I'm a big trauma advocate, but in recent times I've kind of felt it's a bit overused. I mean, life sucks for everyone, various levels. So it doesn't mean we've all experienced trauma. It just means we've all experienced bad times or varying degrees that affect us. So I speak about that in my own context. Also, you know, it's about failure. It's about heartbreak. It's about things like loneliness. It's about stress. It's about the inner critic. It's about romantic relationships. It's it's about body issues. So one thing for me, we tend to like, I, when I was in my mid twenties, I had body weight issues because I watched 300 with Gerard Butler. And because I didn't have much self-confidence, I looked at it. If I look like him and all those guys, women are gonna love me. So I got obsessed with the gym. What I realized I was doing it from a perspective over the years. I realized I got to a point where I was so obsessed with it. I literally couldn't go to the gym. I didn't really enjoy it. And I was when I wasn't going to the gym, I was stressed. I was like, I need to go to the gym. I need to eat certain foods. I can't go out for a meal and have a sticky toffee pudding because I'm worried how it's going to affect my abs. But I was tricking myself because, yeah, okay, I got a bit more attention because of that. But really, what I, re I was coming from the perspective of I'm working out because I'm not good enough. Not because actually I have this, I deserve to look after my body. And essentially, it's how do we approach these all these aspects of life and recognizing that our worth isn't destroyed by these bad things. They're just things that happen. And it's learning to navigate them in a way that A, doesn't destroy us or how we see ourselves in the world and how we move the direction we might take in life. So that's because, as I said to you, that these are all bad things we all experience. They will affect your mental health if you literally start believing they're all about you. So I talk about those normal things that we all experience kids and younger people young adults can like literally go oh so when I fail that doesn't mean I'm a failure it just maybe means that a I didn't perform in a day or b I didn't necessarily put the effort in maybe this was going on in my life maybe that was happening and therefore I can it, I can be compassionate to myself and actually acknowledge that actually I'm not a bad person for failing but maybe I need to put more effort in or maybe I just need to go actually I was going through a bad time you, know, you, you see what I'm saying it, it's essentially that it's like how can we change how we view these things that so don't destroy us and so we can move forward and carry on in the direction we want to go and you said earlier that, that you want it to be a prevention over a cure to get in there sooner and that the areas that you're just describing the self-worth the failure the heartbreak the rejection the, the the inner critic the loneliness the whole concept of not good enough which is is huge I mean it's it's literally you know I'm not good enough it I hear it over and over on this on this podcast. A lot of people have come with that and as being an issue. 
prevention over cure. At what point will we be able to have a society where people don't have that as their inner language? I guess I think it's it comes down to education for me. And I feel like we tend to find out things when they're too late, don't we? And maybe there's something about that in life, you know, as, as the saying goes, until the pain of change, um, until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, we won't change. But I think education, I don't like to blame the education completely because we know that funding from the government and that is just the education and healthcare isn't funding well. But if we can educate people as soon as we can about life and about these things, so we recognise that, so we start to become a compassionate and um, empathic with ourselves about you know life and these normal experiences, so they don't become about. Us. So then, then we won't be literally talking about prevention over cure because people will be preventing it. Now it doesn't mean that mental health will therefore eradicate, but what it means is we give ourselves a better chance. So society just kind of needs to embrace that actually it's normal to go through sucky things, and when we do that, when we realise that, and therefore we're not we're not perfect because no one is perfect. We, we tend to live in a society where we believe we have to be perfect, but when we realize actually we don't and actually it's normal, then we can let go of these, these levels that we believe we have to function at and just be okay with getting things wrong and messing up. And that's where I think we need to come at. And when we start talking about those experiences as humans, like, oh yeah, I failed. And that really sucks rather than, I don't care. I don't care. It's the teacher's fault or this or this or that. And actually, you no, know, actually, I, yeah. Okay. Maybe the teacher, I don't like the teacher. Right. But, actually I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sad now because that meant a lot to me and it's kind of those conversations that we need to be having now will that change overnight I don't think it will because you know I think we're only now really starting to recognize that this is okay and there's still this idea of resilience being like you just have to suck it up and get on with it but resilience is I don't I don't believe that's what resilience is it's kind of being kind and compassionate to yourself and knowing that yeah although this sucks I will find a way through and, and I think we kind of remove this, the acknowledgement that life sucks sometimes because it does. So you're advocating that we don't need to suck up the sucky things. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, of course, there are going to be times when you do, you know, like, you know, I think we, we, we need to be careful what where we apply certain mindsets. So if I'm running a marathon and I'm literally like five, three miles from the end and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. This is sucks. You're probably going to be able to tell you need to tell yourself, OK, yeah, OK, I can get there. I can do this. Yeah, it's going to be in the pain. Maybe I need to slow down, blah, blah, blah. But you, you kind of need to push through that pain. But in other things, we don't need to push through it. We need to just stop and acknowledge that it's happening, because then when we do that, we allow it to go. We allow it to 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 move away rather than holding on to this thing. And that allows us to process it, hopefully in healthy ways, if we've got the right support around us and stuff like that, so we can embrace the suckiness of life but equally let it go so we can move forward because most people don't and this is why i say midlife crises has happened this is why people in their 50s suddenly become depressed and or, or become manic and stuff like that because they they've been living a lot they haven't been able to process the pain whether it's small or big and it kind of it will catch up i promise you it will catch up it catches up you just like me i realized when i was like 33 34 all the pain i buried from losing my mum and all that sort of stuff just caught up with me when I realised that actually it became this vision that I had of my life that wasn't really what I wanted, but was what I, all I thought it was worth. And there it was staring at me in the face. I was like, oh my God, I'd never dealt with this. 
And I think if we can learn people to deal with them as they occur, more often than not, you don't have to feel all the feelings because it's not practical. You know, you're not going to sit suddenly stop like right now. Oh, I'm having this feeling, Amy. I, I just hold on. I'm just going to think about that a minute. Let me sit and process. You're not going to do that, right? But where possible, as often as we can, we need to be acknowledging, you know, what we're experiencing and being okay with that. It's not bad. It's not bad to feel bad. You know, it, it's bad to suppress that and act like nothing's wrong because it will it will catch up with you. And where is your curiosity going to take you next, Alex? The world, Amy. Um, <laughs> uh i just literally it's quite recent i've kind of i'm just enjoying the journey for me so for me it's speaking i literally will speak to young people and adults and just getting myself out there because i feel like that's my purpose and it is literally just speaking about this sort of stuff so delivering my own story linking it with my clinical expertise new social media a lot as you know and so i put my stuff out there and it's just enjoying the journey. As I say, I don't have to, have the, as I'm trying to practice what I preach and not having it all figured out. So for me, it's literally talk and see where it leads because I think that's the enjoyment of life. You just don't know what's around the corner. One thing I, I, I sometimes say is like, we believe that people have to be in the right place at the right time. And we, and a lot of people imagine that, oh, you just get lucky. But actually it's about, you have to put yourself in the right place. So for me, it's about putting myself in the right places. It's saying yes to opportunities rather than saying no, because I'm not good enough. And it's just seeing what comes from those experiences and kind of just saying yes a bit more to life, you know, when it's in line with what I really want to do. So, yeah, for me, it's speaking, speaking, speaking and being the gobby little eight year old with a purpose. <laughs> and perhaps a podcast. Exactly. That's that is, it is. Um, I, I mentioned it to you, didn't I? I'm thinking of doing a podcast. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's I think it would suit my 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 strengths so yeah I, I can imagine the podcast happening in the near future that's for sure oh well I'm really excited to to work with you on that I'm sure you it will be an absolute lifesaver and as you said you know the medium has now changed mm. in terms of the way that we communicate and where Victor Frankl's book reached you perhaps mm. a podcast could reach someone else in the same way exactly exactly I I'm mean, you know I, I've, how can I use myself to the best of my abilities and using the gifts well not gifts but the strengths I've realized I've had over the years to kind of make the world a better place is essentially what I'm doing so yeah the podcast could indeed be it <laughs> absolutely so how would people be able to get in contact with you Alex so you follow me I'm on Instagram LinkedIn and Facebook my handle is um at the Alex J Williams um, you can also email me at alex at the alexjwilliams.co.uk. But yeah, just follow, share with you, share with young people, kids, anything, get them to follow me. I'm a very much honest about it. There's a lot of fluffiness out there, but I refuse to be too fluffy because as I say, you know, it's 50% compassion, 50% boot up the backside life. And sometimes I'm more of a boot up the backside. So with compassion, though, so don't worry. I won't be too harsh on you. So maybe your uh, three R's needs to be sponsored by Ron Seal because it's exactly what it is on the tin. Exactly. I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I might reach out to them. Yes, yeah, sponsor me, please. <laughs> but I don't know if they're still going. But it's, it's just the power of, of the advertising and the power of words because, you know, everyone remembers that. You know, yeah. everyone remembers that for what it is. Yeah. Let's try and remember things that are practical and of great tools and your three r's of responsibility releasing pain and relentless self-belief are awesome so thank you for sharing that do you have some final words for coming on the show 
first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me, Amy. I love your podcast. And as I say, I love speaking to you. I think the world of you. But for me, it, I, the line comes back to, you know, what happens to you does not determine what can happen for you. If you're listening to this podcast and hear me speak, yes, you may experience bad times. They may create more obstacles than another person, but it doesn't mean you cannot reach the finish line. So whatever you're going through in life, you, you have so much more to offer. And if you want help doing that, then I'm the man. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.